0: Good morning. How good is God's Word, hey? It's so good to hear that together. My name's Lachlan, one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. Uh, I don't know if you realise, but the Cricket World Cup is going on at the moment, an important game for New Zealand this morning. Any cricket fans amongst us? Uh, I'm not here to talk about cricket today, but one of the things that happens with World Cups, we've got the Rugby World Cup coming up later this year as well, you start to hear all the national anthems for countries around the world. And I noticed how many countries, I wonder if you've seen this before, uh, put into their national anthems the value of freedom. Have you seen that? We've got some Americans amongst us this morning. Where is it in the American national anthem? Can you think of the line? Uh, Over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Americans long to be free. Uh, Australians, we've got some Australians amongst us. Do you know the line in the Australian national anthem? Australians all let us rejoice for we are young and free. We love and we value, we cherish freedom. You don't have to look too far. South Africans, Christine was up here earlier. Where is it in the South African National Anthem? You know that one? Let us live and strive for freedom in South Africa, our land. Uh, we long for freedom. And the New Zealand National Anthem, we know that one well, don't we? Uh, God defend our free land. It's a value for us in lots of countries around the world. We love Freedom, we want freedom, we rejoice in freedom, we want to protect our freedom. I wonder how many of us would associate Christianity with freedom. That's not necessarily a natural connection for many people. To become a Christian, we recognise, is to come under Christ. To become a Christian is to recognise a new authority, to have Jesus as your ultimate authority. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so a lot of people look in on Christianity from the outside and they think, man, that is not freedom at all. It's so restrictive. That might be you as you come here this morning. You might be here looking in on Christianity, you're not a Christian yourself, and you're thinking, man, these people can't do anything that they want to do. They've got no sexual freedom, they've got no financial freedom, no lifestyle freedom. Now, Christianity can look like anything but freedom. And you might be looking in on Christianity from the outside, or you might be a Christian here this morning yourself and still feel that that's what Christianity is like, restrictive upon you. You might have dragged yourself along to church this morning out of some sense of obligation. You feel trapped. You'd much rather be off on a cafe having a relaxed brunch or out on your bike or watching the telly and catching up on the Cricket World Cup. I don't know where you'd rather be. Perhaps you've dragged yourself in and you feel like you experience Christianity as restrictive. The message of Galatians is that Christianity is actually freedom. How does that work? How can we say that Christians are the freest of all people? We hear the climactic announcement of Galatians this morning, Galatians 5 verse 1. Hear it as Angela read it for us. For freedom Christ set us free. That's the main point of today's passage. Nice and simple. Amidst what is a complex passage, the, the big idea at least is simple to, to hear, for freedom Christ has set us free. It's a simple sentence, but my goal this morning is that we not just hear that sentence, but that we'd understand it, we'd feel it. We'd know the weight of that freedom that we have in Christ, so that we might stand firm in it, that we might rejoice in it, so that we might make the most of the freedom that God has given us. That's our goal this morning to understand and feel the freedom that we have as Christians. So, I'm going to pray that God would achieve that in us this morning. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word to us. It it really does come with power and life. It comes to correct us, to encourage us, to, to wake us up to the reality that our world is blind to. And so please, by your spirit in us today, would you give us joy? Fill our hearts with an inexpressible joy that overflows in song and overflows in love for others. Lord, would your word come alive in our midst today, that we might understand the freedom that you've called us to, and stand firm in it all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to want one of these outlines that you received on the way in this morning as we go through today. There's some headings in there, and a little spot where we're going to do an interactive exercise, You don't just get to sit there and watch on. Today, you're involved this morning. Uh, You'll also want your Bible open to Galatians chapter 4. That's where we're pressing in. We want to see what God has to say to us there. If we want to understand and appreciate the freedom that we have as Christians, we need to see what it is that we've been freed from. When and where were we not free? Well, the answer that we're going to see at the end of Galatians 4 is the first point in the outlines, relying on religious performance to attain God's blessing Is slavery. Relying on religious performance to attain God's blessing, that is slavery. So have a look at Galatians 4, verse 21. Galatians 4, verse 21. Hope you can see it in a Bible somewhere. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Now, if you're new with us this morning, we've been working through Galatians. Galatians is a letter that's been written to followers of Jesus who are thinking about or wanting to submit to the law that God gave to Israel. That's the law that we find in the first five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible with rituals and sacrifices. You might know the Ten Commandments that come up in there. These Galatians were being persuaded that the law was good for them, that if they were under the law, if they kept the law, that would lead to God blessing them. Now, that's the context of this letter, right? So Paul says to them, will you want to be under the law? Have a listen to what the law says. Now, that Israelite law, it was more than just commandments. The first five books of the Bible have historical narrative in there alongside the commandments, stories of real people that God spoke with and interacted with. And as Paul reads the narrative of that law, he is noticed a particular historical episode that helps us understand religious performance to be slavery. He takes us right back to Abraham and the two sons that Abraham fathered. So have a look at Galatians 4 verse 22. Now, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise have got a lot of twos going on in here. This is what Paul has noticed. There's two sons, two mothers, and two means of fatherhood. If we're going to understand Paul in Galatians, we need to know the story that he's talking about. And to help us with that, I'm not going to flick back to Genesis, but I've put together a slide, and you'll see why they don't get me to do design stuff around here. But hopefully this gives you a sense of what's happening in the story in Genesis. Uh, You might recall God visited Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he made some amazing promises, some rich promises to Abraham. Promises of land, uh, numerous offspring, and blessing. These were unconditional promises. Abraham didn't have to do anything. God was just saying, I'm going to bless you in all of these ways. But those promises, the, the blessing that God had promised, it was taking time to come about. Ten years later, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they're still without any child. They don't have anyone yet. God had promised that blessing of children, but it hasn't happened. So then in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands. They had a slave named Hagar. Abraham got her pregnant. She had a son and named him Ishmael. So That's one side of the diagram. Abraham, uh, in Genesis 16, has a son by Hagar, a slave woman, calls him Ishmael. But this is the child that God had promised to Abraham. Ishmael's not the one who's going to inherit God's promises, God's blessing to Abraham. No land for him, no blessing for him. No, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child. Another 14 years later, so Abraham at this point is 99, and we find the story in Genesis 21. Finally, Sarah falls pregnant, and she has a son named Isaac. That's the family tree up there. Hopefully, you can see it and understand it. We've got two sons, Ishmael and Isaac born from two mothers, one a slave woman, Hagar, one a free woman, Sarah. I think what's key for Paul in Galatians, though, in his argument, are the two different means of fatherhood that have led to these two sons. So if you go to your Bible there, have a look again at Galatians 4, verse 23. Notice that Paul says Ishmael was born as a result of the flesh. It's up there in the little arrow between them, by flesh. Isaac, on the other hand, was born through the promise or by promise. So I want to get you involved. I'm going to cast over to you with the person next to you. Just have a bit of a chat. As you look at that, as you consider Galatians, what do you think is the contrast that Paul is drawing between by flesh and by promise? See if you can figure it out with the person next to you. it just moved from the back to the front yeah, so okay. it should Did you figure it out? This is great. You just get to do my work for me. I should do this every week. No, no. Anyone feeling bold and want to have a go? What do you think it means? What's the contrast that Paul is drawing by flesh versus by promise? Yeah, Jason. The, um, trying to be right with God right by the flesh. Yeah. And, um, so that's where he's going to get to. You're on the right track there. Ishmael being born by the flesh, Abraham kind of took God's promises into his own hands. He went, I've seen what you've promised, it's not coming about, I'm going to try to achieve this on my own. I'm going to bring your promise into my own control and work it out in some way. On the contrast with Abraham and Sarah, there was no human involvement, they were just waiting, waiting until God would carry out what he had promised. I think that's what's going on, Uh, Ishmael born by flesh, by human effort whereas Isaac was born just as the result of trusting God's promise. Do you see that there? One child by flesh, one child by promise. And Jason's right. What's this got to do with Christianity and freedom? Well, have a look in Galatians 4 verse 24. See where Paul develops the argument there. Paul says, These things are being taken figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar, Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So here's the argument. You've got two sons, two mothers, two means of fatherhood, and Paul sees an analogy here with two covenants or two different ways of relating to God. On the one hand, Hagar the slave, with the son being brought about by human effort, she continues in slavery, and Paul says, the present Jews... In the same way, they're trying to bring about God's blessing, how? By their religious performance. And in the same way, that makes them slaves. Paul says, if you're relying on religious performance to achieve God's blessing, you're a slave. If you want to be under the law, listen to what the law says. Being under the law is to be enslaved. Now, isn't that true in our experience? And perhaps that describes you this morning. You're here at church... In the hope that your attendance will lead to God's blessing of you, you're looking for all the rules that you can find from God. You make up some extra ones as well, all in an effort to perhaps maybe bring about God's blessing into your life. That enslaves you, doesn't it? Enslaves you under guilt, under shame, under fear. Have you done enough? Will that one failure this week count you out? Have you made enough penance for your sins? That's slavery. It makes me think of Shakespeare's great play Macbeth. I hope you're familiar with some Shakespeare. It's worth studying and getting familiar with it. Macbeth's up on screen. If you don't know Macbeth, it starts with Macbeth hearing a prophecy from some witches that one day he's going to become king of Scotland. And that prophecy shapes the rest of the play. At the moment, Macbeth is just a duke. He doesn't have the authority of the king. Duncan is the current king. And Macbeth hears the prophecy and he and his wife go, we have got to make this happen. And so they go and they kill King Duncan. They take the throne by force. And the rest of the play, they're consumed by guilt. A great scene as Lady Macbeth tries to wash the blood off her hands. Out, damn spot, out. The guilt that consumes us as we try to bring a promise about by our own means. That's what it's like trying to achieve God's blessing by religious performance. You become enslaved, driven to behavior that you otherwise wouldn't do, trying to bring about a promise. If you think that religious performance brings God's blessing for you, then you're enslaved. You're going to compete with others to make sure that your performance is better than theirs. You're going to bring other people down, if not outwardly, then suddenly inwardly. You'll be driven to pride or despair. Every day you'll feel those chains of the religious rules constraining your conscience, constraining your behaviour. I wonder if that describes you as you come in this morning. If you feel enslaved to religious rules, that is not true Christianity. It's every other religion, lists of rules that might have an appearance of wisdom, but they just enslave you. And some people take the Bible, sure, and they turn it into a list of rules and they parade that to be Christianity, but that's not true Christianity. These people are enslaved themselves and they want to burden you with the same chains that they feel themselves. Don't be attracted to that false version of Christianity. Relying on religious performance to achieve God's blessing, that's only going to enslave you. The contrast that Paul gives us, true Christianity, is that Christians trust God to fulfill his promise. And that is a life of freedom. Freedom comes from trusting God to fulfill his promises in Jesus. So have a look at Galatians 4 verse 26. See that Christians are not like Ishmael, but like Isaac. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our Christian's mother. For it's written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now, Paul here is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, that chapter 54 that Angela read for us earlier. Isaiah was prophesying, speaking God's word to the people of Israel about the 8th century BC. We're going to look at Isaiah after we finish up in Galatians. It's going to be fantastic. Isaiah 54, you might have heard it as it was read. It's, it's like a before and after shot of Jerusalem. God compares Jerusalem as it is in exile with a new Jerusalem that is to come. In exile, God had smashed his people in judgment because they hadn't obeyed his law the way of the law, the way of being under the law ended in judgment. That reliance on religious performance led to a Jerusalem that was desolate and deserted. But now, God says in Isaiah 54, they would be blessed. As judgment is over, there's going to be a new way of God relating to His people. Isaiah is speaking of the transition from the Old Covenant, the law of the Old Testament, to the New Covenant from earthly Jerusalem to heavenly Jerusalem, from slavery to religious performance, into the freedom of living by faith alone, trusting God to bring about his promises. That's the Jerusalem above in Galatians 4.26. This, this new, this restored Jerusalem is free. And so Paul concludes in Galatians 4.28, Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you're children of promise. Promise, not flesh. Born of the Spirit, not born of any human effort. We're not trying to bring about God's blessing in any effort of our own. We're just trusting God to bless us. So, verse 31: Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ set us free. Do you see the freedom that Jesus has brought for us? That freedom from slavery to religious performance. This is really just a summary of what we've already seen in Galatians. I've got a few verses up on screen that you might recall. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, we read that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. His death on our behalf, dying for our sins to rescue us. In chapter 2, verse 20, "...through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ." As far as the law is concerned, that law that ends in judgment, you've already faced that judgment. You have died with Christ. You are no longer under the law. You're free. Again, in Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. How does the blessing come to us? It's purely by faith, because Christ has already faced the curse of the law. The punishment has been paid in full. Finally, 4 verse 4, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to buy them from slavery to freedom, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's an amazing message. Christ Jesus, by his death on a cross, by suffering the curse of the law, he's purchased us rescued us, saved us out of slavery to the law, saved us from the slavery of religious performance. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from the curse of the law, from the curse of God's judgment. Christ has set us free. And this might still only be staying up in your head and I want to do something this morning, try to do something this morning, hopefully to move it from your head to your heart. I want you to open up that outline that you've got, take your pen You'll see a little table there, two headings. One says guilt, one says performance. I'm going to give you a few minutes. What I want you to do is write two lists. I'm going to be doing it up here as well. Under that heading guilt, I want you to write down anything from your life in this past week that has left you feeling guilty before God. Anything that's sitting in your heart this morning, weighing on your conscience. Try to think just of this past week. I'm sure there'll be stuff there. But feel free to write down things that are lingering from even longer ago. What's on your list of guilt before God? And then under performance, I want you to write down anything from your life this week that you have done to try to earn God's approval. Is there anything that you're looking at in your life going, oh yeah, I did that because I thought God might bless me as a result. I'm doing that to earn something from God. And Guilt, Performance. Take a couple of minutes, get your pen out, write it down, I want to see you writing, I want to see you get those lists going, I'm going to do that myself. A few minutes probably isn't long enough for this. You might like to take some more time this afternoon as well, but I'll give you another 30 seconds or so. Let me tell you what's on my list. thinking of the past week under guilt, uh, I recognised moments where I thought of myself above my wife and served myself rather than her. Uh, I was staying with my parents this week and there were definitely moments where I thought about myself above my parents. Did not love them as I ought. Uh, There were moments where I spoke out of a prideful heart. I made jokes at a friend's expense. I stole glory from God for myself. I wonder what you've got on your guilt list there. Under performance, what did I do this week with some element of thinking that I might attain God's blessing? Well, at various points in preparing this sermon this morning, preparing to speak with you, moments where my heart goes, ah, I'm doing this to earn something from God. Uh, Going without sleep to do more work. Doing that and going, oh, if I do this, I'm going to be better, I'm going to earn something from God. Even loving my wife can be a thing where my heart thinks I'm earning something from God. Praying with others. It could be all sorts of things on your list. I don't need to know the particulars, but we do all sorts of things as religious performance to win God's blessing, don't we? Church attendance, Bible reading, praying, giving, Spending time with a hard person, hospitality, your baptism, your parenting, all sorts of things that we turn into religious performance. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take your pen and think of Jesus dying on the cross and cross out all the things on your guilt list. Just cross them out and write across the top, big, bold letters, REDEEMED. redeemed. Christ has taken the curse of the law, you're redeemed from guilt. And then still thinking of Jesus, cross out all the things on your performance list, take pleasure in doing it, get rid of them all and write big capital letters, big as you can, the word free. Free. Those things don't accomplish anything, you are free. Because of Jesus, as you trust in Jesus, God smiles down upon you with great blessing and favor. Yeah, you're free. Now, the things on your performance list might well be good things to do. It's good to read your Bible, it's good to pray, it's good, it's helpful to come to church. But as soon as you do any of these things in an effort to earn God's favor, you've stepped away from Christ. We have to be so clear on this because the the church has often struggled to hold on to this message of freedom. We so easily fall into lists of religious things to do in order to earn God's favour. Have a look at Galatians 5 verse 1 to 6. Paul's speaking to the Galatians who have heard of Christ, who have stepped into freedom and now want to go back to slavery. He says in 5 verse 1, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. I don't know if any of you had circumcision on your performance list this morning, probably didn't do that this week to earn God's favour. That's what the Galatians were being tempted with. That was one part of the Old Testament law and people were coming saying, you've got to get yourself circumcised and then God will bless you. This isn't some random general principle about the physical act of circumcision. It's not like if you have been circumcised for hygiene reasons or for look reasons that you're not a Christian. It's not about that at all. But as soon as you get circumcised for religious purposes, as if you need to do it in order to gain God's favour, relating to God in that way cuts you off from Christ. Don't go back to that slavery. Don't go back to a list of religious performances, to a burdened conscience. Paul goes on in verse 3. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. If you add anything to Christ, any religious performance that you think earns you God's favour, then Christ becomes useless to you. It's like adding water into your fuel tank. You've still got fuel in there, but once you've added the water, then it becomes useless. It's not like you can have Christ and then add something else in. As soon as you add anything, Christ becomes useless. You've switched into a whole different way of relating to God. You've turned back from your freedom into slavery. And so instead, verse 5 to 6, Paul tells us what we as Christians do. Wonderful verses here. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith, working through love. That's the life of freedom. That's the life of the Christian. By faith, trusting God to fulfill his promises in Christ, we eagerly wait for the fulfillment of that promise, the hope of our righteousness. We wait, not doing anything but waiting, trusting God that at the end of our waiting, he will accept us, not because of our religious performance, but because Jesus died for us get circumcised or don't get circumcised, whatever, it doesn't achieve anything. Nor does baptism, nor does church attendance, nor does giving, nor anything on your list of performance. The moment a person believes in Jesus, they are as accepted by God as the most godly saint who's lived 50 years of obedience to Christ. What matters in verse 6 is faith. That's freedom, yeah? It's kind of like the freedom you get when you've been striving so hard... I don't know if this has been your experience, hopefully you have loving families, but if you've had that experience, or you can think about the experience where you're striving so hard to earn the approval or the pride of your parents, worried that you know if you get a C on a university paper, they're going to disown you, worried that if the only job you can find is work at McDonald's, they're going to think less of you. You're bound by that desire to perform, to please your parents, and then you hear them say one day, That's not the way we think about you at all. We just love you. You don't have to perform for us. You're our child. We we love you as you are. Oh, that is freedom, isn't it? The release of the pressure that you've had on your back. God loves you, not based on your performance, but based on Christ. So if you came in here today not yet trusting in Jesus, today is a great day to start. Come to Jesus and be free. I don't have to do anything. There's no list of performance, no list of rules for you to follow. Trust in Jesus who took the curse of the law for you. Live in freedom, waiting for that hope of righteousness. And if you're someone who does trust in Jesus this morning, then stand firm in that freedom. Remain in God's grace. Your heart will try to drag you back into religious performance. Other people will try to drag you there as well, just like they were for the Galatians. In Galatians 5, verse 7 to 12, that next paragraph, Paul speaks about those who are trying to drag the Galatians back into the slavery of religious performance. He says, they're going to pay the penalty. In fact, verse 12, he says, if they're trying to convince you that you need to get circumcised, I wish they'd just castrate themselves completely. What I find most interesting in that paragraph, though, is verse 11. Have a look at verse 11 of Galatians 5. Paul says there that if he was to preach circumcision the offence of the cross would be abolished that's an odd little logical bit isn't it the message of christian freedom through the death of jesus it's actually an offensive message to all of those people who are relying on their religious performance our proud hearts want to perform we want to earn we want to achieve on our own efforts we want to distinguish ourselves from others but the cross the death of jesus levels that playing field all are equal and when those who are religious slaves see Christians living in the joy of their freedom, it becomes offensive. It becomes this statement of, how dare, you? how dare you just look down on the rules that I'm following? How dare you look down on my effort and despise my effort? I've been working so hard. If I can take us back to the world of grades, it's kind of like that person at school who never used to have to do any effort and just got straight A's. And you're there trying your guts out, working so hard, and you barely scrape a B. You get offended by the person who's doing nothing and getting the straight A's. That's what happens when we live in the freedom of the Christian message, when we live in the freedom of the Christian gospel. And people slogging their guts out, living for religious performance, trying to achieve God's blessing, and they see us living a life of freedom, becomes offensive to them, and they want to drag us back. So don't be surprised when people try to load you up with rules for the Christian life. If they see you living in your freedom, they're going to try to add some law back in there to control it stand firm. Stand firm. Don't get entangled in that yoke of slavery. Through the Spirit, by faith, wait for the hope of righteousness. Let me bring all this to a close. I hope this leaves you asking the question, how then do we live? You're telling me I can just go out and do nothing, just keep living the way I'm living. What am I meant to do with this freedom? Well, as Galatians 5 moves on, Paul encourages us to make the most of our freedom. Pick it up with me in verse 15, Galatians 5, sorry, verse 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. Paul's told us of this great freedom that we have in Christ, and now he gives us two options for how we might use that freedom. We could use it for the flesh, or we could use it for love. We could walk away and indulge our desires and live selfishly. But notice what Paul says will happen if we do that. We'll end up destroying ourselves and one another. We'll bite and devour and consume one another. That's not a good outcome. I don't want to do that. That's that's a poor use of my freedom. And it's not the way of life that the person who trusts Jesus will live in. Why? Not because there's some law against it, but because the Christian who trusts Jesus has received God's Spirit. We heard that back in chapter 3. The Christian who trusts Jesus has received God's Spirit. And we're going to hear next week in Galatians 5 verse 17 that the flesh desires what's against the spirit and the spirit desires what's against the flesh. So the right use of our Christian freedom is not to indulge in the flesh and God's spirit within us doesn't want that to happen. It's not gonna happen because of who we are in Christ. Religious performance, that's not gonna earn you anything from God. It's not the law that's constraining your behavior. There's no law to love one another. All that matters is trust in God's promises. But that trust, that invisible faith, has a visible face. Faith in God shows itself in love for others. By faith, we receive God's Spirit, and God's Spirit is working in us to produce God's character, all of that fruit of the Spirit that we're going to see next week. So if you trust in Jesus, make the most of your freedom. Now that you're secure, now that you know you're not competing with others in some religious race, you're actually free to love them. You're free to love them better than any law would help you to love them. You're free now to give up everything in this life because you know 100% that eternal life is to come for you. You're free to lay down your life for others because you're sure that death is not the end for you. You're now free to put others above yourself, to serve others. The law actually limits our love, whereas faith frees us to love as Christ loved us. It's this odd paradox here where faith frees us to actually fulfill the heart of the law. In 5 verse 14, Paul says, The whole law is fulfilled in the one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. A weird paradox that is, we're free from the law, now we can finally fulfill the law. But if you treat church attendance as some kind of law, then you're going to turn out like the Levite or the Pharisee in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember them? They're on their way off to the temple and they see someone nearby that needs some love, hurting, in pain, and beaten up, lying there naked in the street. But no, no, I've got to get, I've got to, get to the temple. got to follow God's law. I can't, can't stop and love that person. If you treat church attendance as some kind of law, it's going to limit your love for other people. If you treat Bible reading as a law, you'll become prideful when you hear of others who aren't reading their Bible every day like you. If you love others because you think there's some rule that will earn you God's favour, your love for others will be half-hearted, if not cold, and it will quickly run out. But by faith, we're freed from the law. By faith, we receive God's Spirit. And now we can use our freedom, make the most of our freedom to serve one another in love. Relying on religious performance to attain God's blessing, that's slavery. Freedom comes from trusting God to fulfill his promises in Christ. So stand firm in that freedom. And make the most of it by serving one another in love. Let me pray. Father, we come in here this morning with all sorts of different loads on our backs. For some of us, this is the first that we've heard about the freedom that you offer in Christ. And we've been laboring for so long under the false idea that we need to perform in order to achieve your blessing. Our oh Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him we can be set free. For others of us, we've heard that message of freedom before. We've, we've heard of your grace, your free gift, your favor. And yet we've gone back to religious performance. We've treated certain things that are great joys for us as Christians, we've treated them as laws, and it's robbed us of our joy. Our Father, thank you for the freedom that you give us in Christ. Help us by your Spirit to make the most of that freedom. Help us not to use our freedom as an opportunity to indulge our flesh, but by your Spirit, would you work your character in us that we might serve one another in love. May that be what we as a church are known for, that we're known as a church who know our freedom in Christ and who serve one another in love. As people come to see the way we relate to one another, may they see our freedom lived out in deep, heartfelt, sacrificial, servant-hearted love. Oh, Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.